There's a funny diagnostic term that's used to describe a person that has trouble talking about what their experience is. They call it alexithymia, the inability to find words to describe what you're experiencing. And my goodness, I didn't have those. And now part of that being able to talk about what goes on has to do with what kind of a family you have. Do you guys sit down and talk about your feelings? Is anybody saying, hey, what's this like for you? What are you experiencing? What's going on? It starts right here, deep in your heart. and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most? It starts right here. Welcome to Start Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge. With me is uh, Dr. Alan Berger. Hi, Alan. Tom, we might have to call this episode End Right Here instead of Start Right Here. Well, we're going to start. Oh, well, we'll start our ending right here. It's like, because that's that's one of the things that, you know, we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about kind of closure and saying goodbye and stuff today. But, you know, I mean, as corny as it is, one of the things that you see if you start just, I don't know, just thinking about it or Google searching it, whether it be in your own, sometimes I think I do Google searches in my own head, but it's, it's every, every ending is a new beginning. And um, so I think I think there's as there's some things that are, that are corny as hell, but they're just true. So I think that's that's the case. But this is this is our 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 last uh, episode of what we're going to what we're calling start right here where we want people to know, don't go anywhere. Don't stop listening. To, you know, tell other people. But we're we're making a we're making a pretty uh, significant change for our, our our way of at least our way of thinking about this program. That's right. Look, this is our 40th episode. Yep. The big four zero, right? <laughs> and, and look, that's for me. That's amazing. When I think we've been doing this for forty weeks, it's like it feels like it's been ten weeks. I mean, right. it's, it's just it's been an amazing experience for me. But you're right. Start right here. Right here is going to end right here. But then mm-hmm. it turns to another start right here. Right? That's right. That's right. It's going to turn into a, a, a show, a podcast that we're doing on emotional sobriety. Mm-hmm. And we decided we decided as clever as we are to call it emotional sobriety. <laughs> oh boy, that, it took some creativity to figure that out. I can't hey. tell you the hours we spent thinking that through. Hey, listen, listen, but that, but that is the I have learned that lesson in the in the world of of writing, for instance, and and being trying to be creative, and and actually a couple of times when I've done radio shows back in the old days is I always want to come up with a clever title for something. But the idea is, you know, it, it always comes back to the idea if somebody's looking for something, what are they going to be looking for? You know, I was I was talking to a fellow who my wife has some some guy doing some excavation around her barn right now. And his on his the truck, he says excavation on it. And it's like and we, he's a new business for him. And I was talking to him. I said, so so how did you decide on the on the on the, the name? And he said he said, because I wanted when people went to the yellow pages to look for excavation, I wanted them to find me. 
So if we want them to find emotional sobriety, won't be far away from excavation. Well, I told you guys about my new, my new desk that I got my, for my birthday that I love, but it's like, it's kind of like that. It's like getting a new structure to, to organize things on. Yeah. And emotional sobriety, because not only am I seeing our, our work through those, those, those lenses and learning from your work and seeing how much my work has been a part of that with unknowingly, but I'm also looking around and realizing how much these concepts are just pervasive in, yeah. in this field. It's, it's, I just reordered Judith Viorst's book, uh, Necessary Losses. I read it many, many years ago. It was, it was out long before you know, all the codependency jargon and stuff, but it's about this very thing. It's about, it's, it's, you know, and, and I, and I, while I did, when I noticed that while I'm plugging books, Pema children has, I didn't realize she had a new book that came out last year that, um, that is called, let's see, you'll love this. Welcome the unwelcome. Oh, wonderful. It's, I mean, it's, it's perfect. I, I, I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. The writing is great. So I have that one on, on the way too. So I'll be, I'll be, I'm sure I'll be, I'll be uh, spouting off quotations from Judith and P Pema uh, in the weeks to come in emotional sobriety, but we're still starting right here. Yeah, we are starting right here. And we really, today we want to focus on how to say goodbye and how to end things because you, like you're, you are so, um, right on when you said, look, every ending leads to another beginning. Every beginning eventually leads to an ending. Mm -hmm. and it is, it is that idea that we've talked about is there's always next, right? There's always mm -hmm. next coming. It's, you know, here now is not a static thing. It's always, there's a movement to what's next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember when um, I went to my um, internship up in Connecticut, and there was a really sharp um, psychologist up there that was the clinical director of the internship, Dr. Vince Franco. I love the last name, Franco, an Italian guy. He was like, oh, the, the first like, thing go, it goes with it perfectly. I, I, Vince, I, I, Franco. Vince Franco. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, in, I'm immediately intimidated by the man. <laughs> it was like when you get called in his office, like going to the Godfather, right? <laughs> but Vince, you know, he he really spent time. He said, look. You know, there's a lot of things you're going to learn here, but what I want you to do is to be mindful of how you're starting this, how you're beginning here. What's it like for you to make connections with people for the first time? How do you show up in the wards? And he says, why I want you to pay attention to that is I want you to then imagine yourself as a patient who's coming to check in Beautiful to the hospital. I mean, so right away, what he did to us, and this is a, I mean, this is a psychiatric, you know, facility for some of the criminally insane. <laughs> Others were just so, you know, struggled and had such a severe mental illness, they couldn't function out in the world. <laughs> and he said, just imagine now what it's like you walking in these doors and you don't have control of your mind and what you're thinking when you go on this ward with, with now, these fellow patients that you don't know, and this is going to be your new home. I mean, put yourself in those shoes and you're coming in as an intern and going in there to meet these patients. Imagine what it's like. I mean, it was so brilliant in terms. Oh, it's of great. Well, because, because first of all, anybody going into us, even as an intern or as an intern, those kinds of deals, in my experience, th those are scary times. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about the new people I'm going to meet. I'm nervous about if right. I've not, if I've not worked with this population, especially when you start to work in, you know, and I work, you know, like we, we share that in common where I did some work in a, in a state hospital, you know, for the criminally insane for a while. It's like, you know, all the assumptions you go, you go in, you're scared to death, but it's like, that's beautiful that he took it to that next step and say, okay, well, well, the, the, the patients coming in here, also know what this place is. It really is true, you know, this this beginning in, in the anxiety that someone has. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was so appreciative of how he tried to help us develop empathy for these clients that we hadn't even met yet. I mean, it really was a great intervention. But here's the other thing they did, which I thought was brilliant. So each, I, w- I was there for a full year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I settled in there and I really got to know people and the people I worked with well. About two months before the end of that rotation, he, we went to supervision. He says, okay, now it's about ending. He says, I want you to announce that you're going to be leaving in two months. And from this point on, I want you to pay attention to everything that's going to happen between you and your clients is about how they deal with things coming to an end and pay attention to what they're doing. Are they able to, first of all, talk about it with you? Talk about what it means? Do they avoid it like it's not going to happen? Pay attention to how they... Then he said, now pay attention to how you're dealing with it. What's it like for you to talk about that it's coming to an end? That you're... And and so we started to, you know, really pay attention to the ripples that are created when you're coming up to an ending in your life and when you're going to close one chapter of your life and it was fascinating i mean i had a few moments with these people that were quote unquote psychotic i don't like to use these labels but they weren't in touch with the reality i mean you know this this one patient i'll never forget him he pulled me over to the side once he says dr Berger, come here he says i'm going to tell you a secret that not many people know he got my attention. I go, mm-hmm. I love secrets, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me what this one is. He goes, no one's ever discharged from here. And I go, what do you mean by that? He says, this is a secret now. Mm-hmm. What they do is they take them upstairs to a special room. Mm-hmm. I go, so when they're discharged, they take them. He goes, yes. What happens in that room? He says, well, they saw them in pieces. Wow. I go, wow. They saw them in pieces. And how, what, how did you get this? What, how did you learn about it? He says, I hear them screaming at night. I mean, this poor soul. That's I mean, how tortured is this guy? Mm-hmm. And so now he's torn. Part of this is what he, I thought what he was saying. Now I may, this may have been a real leap in terms of interpretation. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't like things coming to the end because a part of me dies. See, I was interpreting that as this was in his world, his mm-hmm. way of trying to talk to me mm-hmm. about the ending that was coming up between us. Mm-hmm. And in some way saying there's going to be a part of me that dies when this thing comes mm-hmm. to an end between us. Cause we mm-hmm. developed a real close relationship. I mean, obviously if he's sharing things like this with me. Yeah. And so I started to talk to him about that. And, and it was very fascinating I'm saying, I started saying to him, you, you know, when you talked about that thing about, you know, the people being taken up and that they're, de- and they stay up there. What is staying up there? It's like, what are you hearing? He goes, 
Well, I think it's their souls that are screaming to me. Mm. And, and so I, I was saying to him, so, so their souls are still very present here at this place, mm-hmm. even though they leave, there's still, it's almost like no matter in what way we leave something, we leave some part of us behind, don't we? Good for you. So we started, it, it was, I mean, it, I swear to God, I, I had such a good supervisor. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. wrote several books about working with people that were very disturbed, right? And he mm-hmm. really had a sense of how everything's communicated through a metaphor, right? Because right. they don't have that ability to, to use the language right. Communicate direct. It was a remarkable experience, but it brought home that idea about that we really, there is a part of us that no matter what ending happens, that person's still with us. Let's say it's we say goodbye, like to my father. He's Mm -hmm. still very much a part of my life. His spirit is ever present in my life. Right. Well, uh, yeah, we and we've talked about that in terms of grief. You know, one of my fam- favorite things to to remember is that you know that people die, but relationships don't, and our connection doesn't to to do that. And what I love about, I mean, one of the cool things, I mean, all, all, you had a great supervisor, but you also were beginning to to get a grip of, kind of get a hint of your own intuition about having these conversations. But it's like, you know, one of the cool things I think about this, and this may be a little aside from the, the topic, but it's, is it doesn't matter whether we, whether we nail, you know, somebody else's metaphor you know it's like i don't know there's no answer in the back of the book that's like that's like having a a hunch about somebody else's dream you know it's like you may go but 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 the idea is you do know how what you're doing is you're tracking the connection and the conversation about this and that's what matters and regardless of what what it might be in his head what what he what he acknowledged very without metaphor is he was choosing to share a very a very big secret with you which of course is ultimately a, a, a very intimate thing there to is. do, you know, and for, with people who are extremely defended. So uh, God, I love that story. Oh, it was so powerful. And I love you. I love your interpretation. Cause whether he, you know, we can't know how somebody it is. The, this is therapy with, with good old fashioned neurotics as well as psychotics. It's like too, but we don't know how it's going to land, but it's like the idea that you could offer a reframe there where it's, it's, it's well, less violent than his you know i mean you let you did i mean no you give him another way of looking at it and you and you also of course are responding to him in a way that takes him seriously but is you know you're not you're not reacting to oh my god you know or or trying to shut him down no that's not happening you're just going with him and it's like and you and you you're this is what i would think of is like it's we can't control others but we influence others actually we do that for a living it's like you know so you're influencing him or you're giving him an opportunity to be influenced and uh, and and uh, most of all you're respecting him yes I love alan that. alan i thought i'd ask um what could you tell us about your experience with um saying goodbye when you don't get the soft landing because you know i've had meltdowns over breakups and things like that kind of abrupt events and with your father passing that's the the, the most abrupt event mm-hmm. and so you're a lot of your saying goodbye had to be observed you know after the point at which you know others have the luxury of doing it or they've got the two month countdown or whatever so i mean i, I just bet, i bet there's a lot you could uh, illuminate about that to us well you know it's very interesting when i look at my family I mean, my father's death was 
inevitable. I mean, there was no question that even after going to Mexico and getting what was called laetrile treatment at that time, where they were extracting something out of avocado pits and injecting it in patients. I mean, there was really no hope to cure his myeloma at that point. And what I was so, what I'm so aware of now, when I think back, I wasn't at that time, but we weren't talking about that. There was this impending death, you know, fast approaching us, you know, which was obvious if you looked at this man who, when the cancer started, he was about 195 pounds and was a weightlifter and he was in great shape. And near the end, he was lucky if he tipped the scales at 90 pounds. I mean, the cancer took that much from him, right? So it was obvious what I was seeing, right? And what was happening in the family. No one was talking about this. Mm. No one. The whole topic wasn't appropriate. So the day he died, which was the day after Christmas in 1963, there was a lot of crying on my mom's part, but no one was talking about it. It was so interesting. And so for me, nobody asked me about it. I always look back at this and I, I'm, 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 it's so what outstanding conspicuous is the word I was looking for. It was so conspicuous to me now when I look back that not one adult in my universe came to me and said, what's going on? What's this like for you? What are you experiencing? I mean, it, it was like no one was talking about any of this, this incredible experience. So, of course, I didn't talk about it with anyone. I was just, you know, following suit in terms of the family. They were all playing clubs and I was going to play a club. I mean, mm -hmm. that seemed like the thing to do if we're playing a card game. You know, it was all about clubs at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Now, later on, and so that was in 63. So in 71, I start my recovery. Eight years later is when I opened the door to that grief. And my God, did I have a lot to say and feel about what went on. Yeah. I mean, that was stuffed. And I did a pretty remarkable job at stuffing it. I mean, you could not see the stuffing sticking out of the box that I stuck this stuff in. I stuffed mm -hmm. it in well. I nailed that box shut. I mean, it was like nothing was going to come out. Except all of my behavior was saying something's wrong in my life. Mm -hmm. there's something not right. I can't function well. I can't function without drinking. I can't function without getting high. I'm not interested in life anymore. I wasn't interested in school. I mean, I believe that I really suffered from a depression that I could not talk about and identify at that particular point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even have the awareness or the words to describe that. You know, there's a funny diagnostic term that's used to describe a person that has trouble talking about what their experience is. They call it alexithymia, alexithymia. So the inability to find words to describe what you're experiencing. And my goodness, I didn't have those. And now part of that being able to talk about what goes on has to do with what kind of a family you have. Do you guys sit down and talk about your feelings? Is anybody saying, hey, what's this like for you? What are you experiencing? What's going on? You know, like when we turn to Maddie now, 
what's this like for you, you know, anticipating this move? What do you feel good about it? What don't you like about it? What do you like about it? So, you know what I mean? We're trying to allow her to have a full expression of her experience with this thing, you know, as we're anticipating this move. That didn't happen in my family. There wasn't a discussion of feelings like that. Well, and there's what you, it's interesting to me as, as a listener to this is this is a direct contrast to what, to what uh, Vince Franco had, 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 had guided you in because the idea is, and, and I, and, and I will, I want to come back to the, the idea of, of goodbye with the soft landing that, that, uh, that uh, uh, Patrick said, because I don't know that there really are those, you know, very soft, but, but I get, I get the distinction, but, but the idea of aware versus, versus special efforts, you know, unconsciously going to being unaware, you know, of stuffing all that stuff down. It's like what, what, what Franco was telling you was teaching you was, was whatever, whatever's going to happen with this stuff, we should be paying attention to it as it's bad. We're moving toward it. And what you're saying is you had none of that zero had the experience, you know, had all the same, you have all the grief, whatever that happens to be, you grief is very, very, very patient. It will wait. It will wait forever inside of us for the time that we will acknowledge it. And it's like, and then you, so you then build it for eight years. You know, it's, I had a sponsor used to, he would just say, all that does is give it time to get infected. It's right. like, and it's, I thought that was great. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. So by the time by the time you you're there to, to do that, then you you still have all of that work to do. But you know the the idea what what if there is such a thing as a soft landing, it it is a softer landing if in that particular case if somebody had just even if it was awkward or, or, or inadequate or whatever to just let's talk with, let's talk with everybody. Let's talk with each other about how we're feeling as we go along. And you had none of that. Yeah. And that is the opposite of a soft landing. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. that's right. And alcohol and drugs comes in there and says, I can help. Yeah. And they can, they can for a while. And they can, they did. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I look back and I, you know, the other thing I was going to say with this is that, for a lot of reasons, I can see that I wasn't ready to deal with any of that at that point in time. I mean, there wasn't the necessary support in my family if I would have opened that up. I mean, I think I would have fallen into an even greater depression if I started to talk about that. And there was nobody that could empathize with it, nobody that could you know, be present with me in that pain that I had. No, you, you had to, no, you had to, you had to exist inside the context of your family because, you know, the idea that if all of a sudden you, you were miraculously, you know, open to all of this stuff, it's like your family. I mean, that would have, I mean, who would, you know, we can't predict what would happen, but the ripple effect of that would have been, would have been very difficult for your family and, and, and no doubt would likely send messages back to you that you're doing something wrong. Exactly. And see, you and I talked about this. That's why we don't call these things like that's not a defense mechanism. That's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Well, and, and, and or we use we or we I would also say is the word defense gets a bad reputation in this. It's, it's, it's like yeah. it's like we but, all need to we all need to, to be able to defend ourselves. It's like the problem with defense mechanisms that you and I can both tell stories about is when we were way over defended. You know, when we're walking around, you know, I always I always just have the picture of like walking around everyday life in in a suit of armor you know clinking around that's that's kind of how we were back you know before we started looking at all this stuff but it's like no that and especially that young person that that's you, when you're talking to that inner child you say 
way to go. Right. Congratulations, buddy. He didn't, right. he didn't have a self-help book or we wouldn't listen to a podcast to help him get through that thing. Right. He, right. he figured that out himself. That's right. It seems to me that with grief, it's a bill that comes due at some point. I mean, there's no way to avoid. Right. I mean, I mean, is it possible to just stuff your grief for a lifetime and never have to experience, you know, what well, you've experienced? I, I, well, I think what we could say, Patrick, is not only possible, but a lot of people do it. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And then what happens is, is that you you become less alive, right? You mm-hmm. lose something. You 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 know, I, I I love this one line from the prophet by Cahill Gibran, and he's mm-hmm. talking about love and what happens if you don't open up yourself to to some of the pain that comes when you love someone you know how do you know you're in love if somebody can't hurt you right there's no love in that and he talks about that a lot of people run away from that kind of a thing right Mm -hmm. but but he says you know if you open it you know love will be you know not only will crown you but will crucify you i mean Mm -hmm. i just love that but then he goes on to say but if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better for that you cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter. And you will weep, but not all of your tears. Mm -hmm. And you will love, but not with all of your heart. I mean, that's what happens. So when, when I deny myself the experience of that, I pay a high price. Well, what I tell people is that, you know, we, we can't filter, you can't, there is no such thing as a filter of, for certain kinds of feelings. If you're going to filter your feelings, you're filtering all your feelings. And, and that's a beautiful, that's beautifully stated in that poetry. It's um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think I learned this through, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I had pets as a kid, but I was never an animal person. But then I married Ellie Mae Clampett, basically. You know, younger <laughs> people may not know who I'm talking about, but that means a woman who comes with critters, lots of critters. And, 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 and as a result, I became what I call a secondary animal person, which is like, you know, like my wife herself is part of all animal kingdoms. She is just part of them. And she's part of the herd, part of the flock, part of the pride, you know, but I'm as close as you can get without having been born that way. And, and, um, I went through the short version of this is, you know, when you, when you do that, you lose, you, you experience a lot of grief because you lose these animals. Uh, and, and um, they, and, you know, and for people who think ownership rather than relationship, this, they won't necessarily connect to this part of it. But, but a lot of people who show up for our stuff are very much relationship people with animals. It's um, and what I, I, I used to just be pissed off. I started off being pissed off that I had to go through that and that that was, it felt unfair. And then doing the short version here, then I moved to a place where I decided it, it, the grief was the price I pay for loving. And then, then I, I finally got to the place. And I couldn't even tell you how I got there where, I, where, and I wrote one of my little nutshells about it. And I, and I'll, and I'll still stand with this one, which is grief is the hardest part of love, but it's just a part of love. It's like it goes with the territory and you cannot, if you're going to love that deeply, you're going to, to, to hurt that deeply. And it's, it's like, and of course the, the emotional sobriety message, the message we have with this is, or anybody has out of a, a, a process of wisdom is it's okay. 
It's like, you know, because part of the problem with this, with the goodbyes and saying goodbye and the pain and stuff, a big part of the message we're bringing is the idea is just because something is difficult, just because something is, is painful, even if it's excruciatingly painful, that does not necessarily mean it's wrong or that it's, we shouldn't be experiencing it. I think this is from necessary losses. As a matter of fact, losing is the price we pay for living, which I would say I'm beyond that a little bit. It is also the source of much of our growth and gain, you know, without, without, you know, we don't, you know, any, anybody can have a good day on a good day. You know, it's the other days that we, where we grow and where we develop our integrity while I'm doing quotes, I'll test you both how lucky I am to have someone that makes saying goodbye so hard. Oh yeah, that's who nice. said that? Who said that? Winnie the Pooh. Oh, that <laughs> does sound like something he'd say. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's like, but I, I read it, but you, I read it without the little voice, you know. And it's and it's like I was going like, that's very powerful, you know. The philosopher Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that that the first voice of Winnie the Pooh was Otis from Andy Griffith? I did not know that. There you go, buddy. I'm here to help. <laughs> Join our podcast all the way. We'll talk all the way from quotes from Winnie the Pooh to, to that's a good And let me just ask Patrick. Patrick, we'll get I will get back on topic here in just a sec. But Patrick, do you know who Otis is? No. All right. See, yeah. that's that's one of those cultural references. That's a, he's a he's a character on the Andy Griffith show. That, oh, well, I know uh, the Andy Griffith show. Well, he's the guy mm. that would every Saturday night he would get drunk. He's one of us. He's like, oh, he's yeah, <laughs> a drunk. And uh, and he would uh, and he would he would just let himself in the jail and did, uh, lock, him, lock himself up. Did he drink out of one of those jugs with like the three X's on it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes. That's, that, yeah, that's that seems like how that would Moon, go. Moonshine. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, you know, I'll acknowledge, um, I'm in early recovery. Uh, it'll be three years in June and, um, I, uh, I still hedge a bit when it comes to loving and, you know, really being fully expressive or committal in things mm -hmm. that be in the before times rode me off a cliff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but in my work with, you know, Alan and with you guys and, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, I get that the, the goal is to you know, is to just always be expanding and kind of trying to, to take those, uh, I, I guess you could call them risks, right? Mm -hmm. To live live more fully and to not, mm -hmm. you know, to always be going towards something, going towards a carrot than running away from a stick. Yeah. Well, but one of the things that, tell me if this fits for you, but as you were describing that, it sounded like you're, you're moving from that place where you're just shutting it down. You're very aware of it, but you're remaining cautious. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's like, to me, yeah. that's, that's one of the things that we need to respect in ourselves and we need to respect in each other. And, other, and even those of us who are therapists, not, not to, you know, it's, it's like, nudging people into things is a good thing, but, but, but shoving somebody is not, it's like, it's like, so the idea is of, you know, I mean, how we ask you to get in touch with all those fears that you have from your past experience, you know, it would be silly if we just say, okay, now ignore them, yeah. you know, and go jump off the cliff. It's like, no, just walk slower, pay attention. Don't, and the coolest thing about relationship stuff too, about that is, is, what I tell people is I understand there's a part of that. You all, we always existentially go through alone, but as far as actually talking about what's going on and how you're feeling, you never have to do that alone again. 
you know, let, you know, you have friends, you have support people, you have therapists who can, you can say, you can say, you know, I got to tell you, this is really hard and, and they can just listen to you. And it makes all the difference in the world when you're not alone. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a metaphor I would use is um, in my recovery, I've been building the engine, you know, of, of whatever my next major goodbye is. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if it's going to fly yet, but I've got a lot of tools and uh, you know uh, because I, I, I think saying goodbye is one of the hardest things I've, had to do over the course of my life. I don't know if I've ever done it well. Wow. That's a great, that's a wonderful thing to know about yourself. Yeah. I mean, kicking and screaming. Yeah. Kicking well, and screaming. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't solve a problem that you, that you can't define. And it's like, what's your, I mean, your awareness of that is, is wonderful. It's like, I mean, you, 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 you will, as long as you stick with it, you will master, you will, you, as much as human beings can master something like that. And I don't think we, I don't think that's the ultimate thing anyway. I don't know that. I don't think I would trust somebody who says, Oh, I'm so great at goodbyes. I mean, you know, it's like, cause goodbyes suck. They hurt. Yeah. That's kind of a weird thing for somebody to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, think of the word good bye. What's a mm -hmm. goodbye, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what does that look like? And, and I think that what Tom is hitting on, too, is that, and I really think this is true, you know, don't, uh, you know, the people I work with, I don't want them to have an expectation of what that's supposed to look like. Okay. You know, I want it to be, if it has to be ugly for them, it has to be ugly for them. If they're kicking and screaming about it, they need to kick and scream for a while about it. I believe if they fully experience whatever is coming forward in their consciousness, they will get to what's next behind that. I know when I laid on the floor and I was angry about my dad's death and I expressed that, underneath that anger was a lot of sadness. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't get to that sadness without first raging for a while and pounding the floor this is when before when we had rooms that had these big mats on the floor loved them bean bags right mm -hmm. and, stuff yeah. like that. and i was just threshing out on the floor mm -hmm. screaming and yelling i was angry with god i was angry with life i mean i was angry with everything i could be angry about yeah and then i just started crying well, and isn't that your experience too, Ellen, that, that when we open ourselves to this stuff that has been stored up, it's emotions, uh, the emotions are layered, they, they line up. It's like so, so often, you, you know, I think about going through that stuff myself, but I think about facilitating people through, people will be angry, 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 and then all of a sudden just the deep hurt takes over and then you know and, and then you know somewhere in there people just start laughing from the the bottom of their belly because there's just some joy that's in there but there's just you just open that up and it's like it's like i was saying you can't filter some emotions and not others um but what we also do is patrick in terms of i don't know if this fits for you but i but that makes me think about when i was younger and i like what with the insight i have looking back at myself and in, in uh early earlier times with relationships is is i was at definitely the classic uh i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna piss you off and upset you f first so so that so that you don't reject me so i would go i would go into a relationship with, without thinking of it that way but i would go into a relationship ready to sabotage it you know it's, it's, and, and ironically of course the more the more i liked you yeah. the, the 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 more quickly and and um 
thoroughly I was going to sabotage the relationship because I, because I was more, I was so afraid that you would reject me. And so the idea of knowing that we can survive this stuff is makes, right. makes it all possible. I love, um, you were, you were saying on one of our episodes, Tom, that, um, that the thrashing and the raging, it's a, the expression of that is a, it's a kind of accommodation or it's a kind of like, it's an accept it's you're, you're building towards acceptance, mm -hmm. you know, even in the deny, if you're, yeah. if you're kind of like working through your denial of a thing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of like, you're also accepting it. Paradoxically. Right. right. You're, yeah. It's some, sometimes people just are wiser, just kind of stay out of our way when we're doing that. You know, you know, I mean, if you think about that, it's like what's I was I was reading a, a novel earlier. Today. There was a scene in there in which somebody was told of somebody's death. The next the, the next line was, please tell me that's not true. OK, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's denial it's, it comes immediately. It's totally normal. You know, the anger comes totally normal. No, you know, now I'm gonna, I'll, I can throw a tantrum. That this is whatever this is you're telling me. I don't want it to be true. And and if we don't, if we don't, uh, as a as a as a as a, as a uh, control freak, I you know, I had to learn. I had to learn to not, um, to not jump in there and immediately try to intervene and just stand back and let people go through that process. And it's it's like it's amazing. We'll take ourselves through it if we're, if we're in a safe place. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to mention in this show was, look, sometimes you hit a place where you don't want to, to deal with the situation. And one of the things that I've found that's important to do is to give yourself space to claim that I'm not, I won't do this, right? Is to allow yourself to say that. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'll feed people that are struggling with that like a line that, that might say something like, I won't accept this loss because what it means to me if I accept it is. Mm -hmm. And to look at the meaning that we're giving these experiences. Right. Um, this becomes such an important part of being able to grapple with that time to say goodbye, right? Is to be able to look at what meaning you're giving to it. Sometimes that the things you attach it to that are things that are based on what I would call a real toxic attitude. Like if I say goodbye to you, then I'm never going to feel that support that I got from you before. Mm -hmm. Well, that is not true. You can still right. connect to that because once that's, internalized into a person you know we we talk about what we call unhealthy introjects ideas that are toxic and that make it hard to live life but one of the reasons why i think therapy works is because with your therapist you start to develop a healthy introject mm -hmm. here is someone who's caring for you loving you and you know guiding you and bringing meaning to your life and now you bring that person into your heart too well, so it's, not it's, just, it's new possibilities, what you always are talking about, new possibilities. And see, with that, is it becomes new, new possibilities, just like Tom is saying. And so if we really pay attention, anybody that's really meant a lot to us is still with us. 
you know, Tom and I talk about this population of cells that exist in every person. We're not just one self. We're not a singular self. You know, everybody that's touched my life and is a part of me, you know, is inside somewhere. I've got this great, I I love this one um, Japanese artist um, who paints a very, very famous Japanese samurai warrior. I'm, I'm blocking, uh, blocking the Japanese warrior's name right now. It'll come to me, or maybe you can look it up, Patrick, as I'm saying this. But one of the things he did, he's got this Japanese warrior, and he's in this in this pose. And in his, what are those, kimonos or whatever they're called, and the, the, the garb he has, he's got these, all these pictures of these different people that were a part of this man's life. And it is such a wonderful visual of what you and I talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. There's his great grandmother in the picture, his grandfather, his harsh father, you can see in there, a child in there. I mean, it's like it, it is it is the collage of his life. Yeah, we are collections. Absolutely. We are collections. We are. It's like and what you're what, the thing you're saying before that was um where we just, and it goes back to what Patrick was asking about, which, which is, is, it just reminds me of how important, one of the most important things we learn in this, in, in doing this business of helping is staying out of people's way and, 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 and guiding them into places where they have previously been too afraid to go. And, and I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cognitive technique. It's, it's, it's not, it's not an original to me, but it's I, my, my, my way of talking about it. I wrote about it in embracing fear was I called it going down the ladder. So if somebody says, if I, if I, if I say goodbye to you, then I'll never have your, your wisdom again. What I'm talking to people about is let's not, and I'm trying to do myself is let's not prematurely reassure. We're looking, we're, I'm talking about fear in this book and we're talking about reassurance. Obviously reassurance is to fear is food is to hunger. So you really want to, you want to get the best, the most, you use the word this a lot too, this most, the most nourishing reassurance you can. And to do that, you go deeper. So you say, okay, so, so you go down the ladder and it's amazing how it's just a couple of rungs down. It's like, so if, if saying goodbye means you'll never have the wisdom, then what happens? Well, then I, then I, then I, you know, usually it's going to be a big one. It's going to be, then I, then I'm completely lost again as I always have been. Okay. Well, don't do it there. You go, if you're completely lost, what happens? You know, my life is hopeless. Da, 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 da. And it's like one of the things we can do then at that point is say, no, we, we validate. No wonder you're this afraid because you're afraid, you're afraid that everything, everything that gives you hope is getting ready to fall apart. You know, that's what you're afraid of. It's like, and now we can come back in with reassurance to say, let's talk about how, you know, the stuff we've worked on is going to stay with you. You know, let's talk about, let's talk about what are some of the things you're going to remember that I said. It's kind of a Socratic, Socratic uh, investigation. Yeah. 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 And it's like, but it's about, it's about, um, yeah, it's, it's to me. I've always just thought it's, it's about. I have to. I have to be sure I'm practicing my own codependency recovery, not to jump in and rescue people prematurely and let them, you know, go. Okay, well, let's walk down there and see how. But but it's amazing how how just a couple of rungs down the ladder you're at. We're at. We're you know at hopelessness. We're you know so many, I can't. I lost count of how many people were living on the street in a on a cardboard box. How many people had had had, had to commit suicide? And once you can see that that our what has been unconscious to us is is now conscious now we can begin to change change our decisions 
you know, we can go, oh, wait a minute. And we, or then we can suggest, no, that actually doesn't have to mean the end of, of, of you know, wisdom. It's like, and then we can t- even like you say, Alan, we can tell, I mean, God, I mean, uh, I mean, I, at, at this age, I mean, I, I, I quote, I, I quote therapists uh, that I've had that are long dead on a regular basis, you know, that I, I don't have a better approach than they did with me. So I just, I just deliver the message directly. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this is, this is, especially our couples therapist who, who basically taught me, taught me how to grow up. Uh, just, I will just say, this is what Mary Elizabeth told me. That's right. Yeah. I remember you quote her a lot. <laughs> I remember I, 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 I looked up the samurai warrior. Okay. You couldn't find I, it. Yeah. Miyamoto Musashi. Miyamoto Musashi. He's, he's probably the most painted samurai warrior ever. And, uh, and he's it, a collection. It, yeah, he's, he's, a, got, he's got this this kimono on from this one artist who painted him that is just amazing. Um, but look, it, it, and this is what happens is is that as we process our grief and as we, you know, integrate it, right? As it becomes something that we digest and we grow from it and we take in and make it a part of us, right? Mm-hmm. Then it it's something that that inspires us. It contributes to who we are. You see, mm-hmm. this is the problem is when we don't grieve, then that part of us never gets assimilated into our whole being. So yeah. it stays separate from us. And now we're fragmented. Now mm-hmm. we cannot access that part. It's like all those years I could not tap into the part of me that was so connected to my father and how my father was connected to me. And that's all through my whole life. It's been an incredible inspiration once I, I was able to start to do the grieving process. So that's the other part of this, Patrick, that you go to is that at the end of it, if, if you really, really open yourself up to this grief, you become more of what you can be, not less. And I think that's what people are so afraid of that if I feel this loss, it's going to take away from my life. And what I know to be true, and I think I'm speaking Mm -hmm. for Tom as well, Mm -hmm. is the opposite happens. You become more of who you are, not less of. It's not a subtraction. It turns out, even though it feels like it is, it's a loss, right? A loss is like, seems like it would have a minus sign on it, right? Mm -hmm. But, and it is that, there's no question, there's a loss, but if that loss is processed, you know, completely processed, then it becomes a plus, not a loss. Well, it, exactly, it's a change. It's, you know, the, you go back to what, you know, my little quote where, where, I, where I say, you know, uh, people die, relationships don't. The, the, you know, after appropriate pause, I also add to that, when somebody dies, it changes your relationship drastically you know it's very different and there are you know and it's like it's, it's like but it's it is still just a change in a way one of the things that, that we have the advantage of today as we're talking about our our podcast is that that we get to have a, something that's that i think is kind of rare we're actually consciously going through a rapid in uh, reincarnation experience we're we're changing now and we're, we're and we're aware of what we're doing. We're changing, and we're changing by by you know not choosing exactly. We, we, I I couldn't have told you how start right here would have evolved and did all this stuff. This just happened, but we we do choose the direction. Forty episodes of start right here 
are well the cool part is in technology they'll always be here but they'll always be there you know they're always here in my heart too mm-hmm. and what what the three of us have done together I rent a house for my family. My mom did me the favor of putting putting all these framed uh, paintings and photos of my grandfather in the laundry room. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And I've been very pleased lately. I'm meditating a lot less on how much it sucks that he's not around anymore. And I'm more, much more often I'm going to these vivid places in my imagination and remembering things that I didn't think were still in my repository. And, you know, just and they're there. Yeah. yeah, feeling that joy again, you know, just uh, and realizing that he's still a part of the sauce, you know. So it's been good. That's that's beautiful. Well, I guess that we can go ahead and bring this show and say goodbye to everybody in this show. And mm-hmm. and you know, um we talked about it earlier, Tom, and and um I think a great gift we can give everybody is the song that you wrote with mm-hmm. Kevin Harasa. Mm-hmm. I'll start right here and uh, we're going to leave you with that song in its entirety for you to enjoy. It's a, I think it's an amazing tune and I think it's, it's well-written. The words are incredibly inspiring. And uh, I think the music is, is great as well that Kevin put Oh, what he came up with, it was amazing. Yeah. So listen, everybody tune in to our new podcast, Emotional Sobriety, and we'll see you on the other side. See you on Mother's Day. Peace out. Start right here Deep in your heart Start right here That's where it starts